I'm looking for my listeners. We had a big night tonight, and you weren't there. And I realized that you complete me. That's right. We watched Jerry Maguire, so you know what that means. It's in the basket, the writer's bagel basket. Show me the money. Show you the money. Oh, no, no, you can do better than that, Jerry. I want you to say it with you with me, then, brother. Hey, I got Bob Sugar on the other line. I better hear you say it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Show you the money. Not, not show you. Show me the money. Show me the money. Tear me apart, Lisa. Oh, dang. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Oh, no. Hey, would you mind putting that gun away? My wife doesn't care, but I'm a very timid fellow. You idiot. Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Hi, welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I'm Scott Kerland. And we are kicking off Snubs and Shrugs with the biggest shrug of them all. A film that was nominated for five Oscars. A film that won a Golden Globe and was nominated for another four Golden Globes. A film that people say kind of stapled 1996. We're talking about Jerry Maguire. The most 90s movie to ever 90s. And talking about it is our Tom Cruise expert, Miss Mallory Saverin. Hello, hello. Uh, so, halfway through this movie, you're like, I can't. Not even halfway. We were at the, I'm literally. We were at 45 minutes. We in. were at 17 minutes. And I looked at you and I was like, we've only gotten through 17 minutes of this shit. And, and I was like, this is, I don't get it. This is so bad. This is so bad. And then you were like, let's see if we could keep going. And see how far you can get. And I, yeah, we got to the 40 minute mark. 45. And I, we were the, okay, 45. And I think I was like, I just, I, I, I kept on every little thing. I was like, I don't get this. I don't get that. That's fucking stupid. This is fucking stupid. I don't understand how it won all of these fucking awards. This is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. So what we did with this movie is the same thing we did with Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, where Haley couldn't watch the movie. She stood up, walked away, and the rest of... Rest of the movie I watched by myself, and then on the podcast, I explained the movie to her and got her reaction. So that's what we're doing with Mallory, because I've seen this movie. This is the movie I watched the most as a 10-year-old boy. That's hilarious. Because I had the biggest crush on Kelly Preston, and mm. she is completely naked in this movie. That, e- that she is. She is naked. Yeah. Yep. And I have at least seen... You did, ha- you did show me the very end. That that was the most important of the in class, my opinion. of the classic end, which I knew most of that at the end. But that's not why I, the the whole "you complete me" speech is not why I showed it to you. I showed it to you for the scene where Cuba passes out because he gets yeah because that the, the two best things in this movie are Regina King and Cuba Gooding Jr. Oh, by far, by except, far. Except Cuba Gooding Jr. is kind of a problematic human being. <laughs> okay, I didn't necessarily see that only because I didn't watch the whole thing, but. I will say... No, uh, Cuba Gooden Jr. in real life is a problematic human being. Oh, he is? Yeah. I'll oh. tell you off mic. Okay. But uh, also speaking of problematic human beings, who's who's a little boy at the beginning of this movie? Tom Cruise? No. What? Who's Drake, l- Drake Bell. Oh, yeah. I forgot about him already. Yep. Why don't you give us the blockbuster rule? 
Um, in a perfect 90s time capsule, there's a sports agent played by Tom Cruise who no one gives a fuck about doing things that no one gives a fuck about, writes a manuscript that no one gives a fuck about, leaves his job that no one gives a fuck about, and then does some shit that no one gives a fuck about. Yeah, that's about right. He doesn't leave his job. He gets fired. Well, he gets fired. Right. But I mean, I'm um, come on. You don't write that fucking manifesto at 2 a.m. and then print it at a Kinko's and then send it out to it all. It was a Kinko's. What? I said, yeah, it was a Kinko's. It was a Kinko's? Yeah. I just threw that out there. I wasn't sure. It was the 90s. It was a Kinko's. Yeah. So you don't do that in the middle of the night to a Kinko's and then give like, you know that this is like in your industry. This is a crazy radical idea. You're literally doing a death sentence. That you literally print up and send out to the office and you knew it because then you called to see if you couldn't get it taken out of people's mailboxes. But he didn't send it to the office. He sent it to their hotel rooms. They were at a conference. Right. That's also fucking weird. You're in the middle of a conference, not at the office, and you send it to everybody at the hotel room. And just the whole thing is bizarre. And all I can think, too, is like, well, first of all, let me start with this. All right. We have the begin, like all of the narration in the beginning. I'm watching it scene by scene with the narration over it. And all I could think in every single scene was how unnecessary the narration was. Because all of the information that um, we Tom were Cruise. getting yeah. through the narration was being shown to us in the clips. And I'm like, I'm, I, like, I care even less the more you're fucking talking. So in, in every screenwriting class that I took in college and before that, I, I, read, uh, I had to read Screenplay by Robert McKee. Did you ever see the movie Adaptation? Okay, Brian Cox plays his character in that. But screenplay by Robert McKee is the number one book. Like, if you're not going to go to college and you want to be a screenwriter, buy screenplay. It's It teaches you all the right things to do. And Show, the, don't tell? That's what it is. You show, you don't tell. If you can't do it accurately, there's only one movie that I thought needed a narration. And that was uh, Juno. Okay. I think I I can't think of necessarily a specific example, but I do know I've seen plenty of movies where narration is effective for its intended purpose. The problem is, is that when the narration is trying to give you, um, uh, I can't think of the word, um, not prose. Exposition. Thank you. Yes. Where, where the narrative, they're trying to just do exposition dumps that aren't adding anything to the story where you're either putting unnecessary scenes under the exposition or you're putting scenes that are literally describing the exposition where the exposition becomes completely pointless. And it's like insert like. How can we forget the line where he goes, I even had the cover printed out and it even looked like Catcher in the Rye. People don't talk that way. That is not. No, they don't. Well, this is the thing. And it's like, people don't think that way either. They don't. They just don't think that way. And, it and was... if you're thinking that that your thing is like Catcher in the Rye, like as a kid, I loved Catcher in the Rye. I thought it was the stupidest fucking book I ever as fucking read. As an adult, read. I'm like, oh, he's a whiny little bitch boy. Um, as a kid, I thought he was a whiny little bitch boy. So I think it's kind of ironic that he was like, it even looked like Catcher in the but, Rye. And I'm like, you're a whiny little bitch boy, and Catcher in the Rye is a whiny little bitch boy. So I guess there I was, is a comparison. When I was 15, I was a whiny little bitch boy. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. um, me, reading it as a kid, I guess not as a whiny little bitch boy, thought it was a, the dumbest fucking book. I was book. a whiny little bitch boy who was getting car- into car accidents set to Billy Joel music. <laughs> Did I ever tell you that? No. In in high school, I got into two or three car accidents 
Uh, and Billy Joel was on the radio every single time. That is really fun. Maybe you should stop listening to Billy Joel. It was on the radio. Hmm. This was in a time when I didn't have, you know, podcasts to listen to. Yeah. With this film, the fact of the matter is Tom Cruise was not even originally supposed to be Jerry Maguire. Who was... Okay, I don't think you told me that before. Who was supposed to be Jerry Maguire? I told you. I was waiting to tell you on... Yeah, okay, on, yeah. Okay, so the role was written for Tom Hanks. Oh! 96 Tom Hanks. We're talking like... Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm like picturing, you know, current America's dad Tom Hanks, not no, this, this like was, big Tom Hanks. So he did that thing you do instead. Okay. The movie was written for Tom Hanks. I still couldn't see... I don't know if... Like, I feel like this worked because Tom Cruise is prettier. Well, also, can you imagine Tom Hanks going, uh, it even looked like the cover of Catcher on the Rye. Like, Tom Hanks' voice, like, there's a snake in my boot. Well, here's the problem, though, is that this movie, to me, because you had said it won an Oscar for what? For writing? No, it was nominated for writing. It was nominated for writing. Okay. Either way. Apparently, it, it was award-worthy. The only Oscar worthy. won was Cuba. Cuba okay. Gooden Jr. is the only one. So it was nominated, but he was the only one that won. Okay. Um, but I agree. Uh, uh Regina King definitely should have gotten something. Yeah, and she didn't. And Renee Zellweger didn't get nominated. She got nominated for a Golden Globe, and she won Break Breakout Actress hmm. for the Screen Actors Guild. Um, but Winona Ryder was... It was going to be Tom Hanks and Winona Ryder. That is not a combination I can see. And then it was going to be Tom Hanks and Janine Garofalo. <laughs> what? Yeah. the person, That's even worse. The person they turned away once Tom Cruise was cast... Like it was, they they turned away Marissa Tomei, Tom Cruise and Marissa Tomei. Tom, Tom fucking Cruise, great. Yeah, that would have been fucking great. Yeah, they turned away Tom Cruise. Uh, they didn't turn away Tom Cruise. They turned away Marissa Tomei and Mira Sorvino. Really, those are two people that would have been. They would have been fantastic. Yeah, uh, they offered the role to Jennifer Lopez, and her, really, her okay. agent talked her out of it. Her, I don't see in this at all as Dorothy. No. I can see her more as Avery as Kelly Preston's role. That I could see. Um, but they they offered it to her and her agents like this movie is gonna tank. Don't do it. <laughs> and like then it did well. She did the movie Jack instead. <laughs> That's the one where where Robin Williams is the ten year old boy who ages four times faster than everyone else. Oh, I forgot she was in that movie. Yeah. That movie is incredibly depressing. Uh, well, here's my thing. Here's my thing with Tom Hanks, though, right? Because in my mind, and yes, this is a '90s time capsule for a number of reasons. Is a '90s ca- time capsule in terms of the writing, in terms of the style, in terms of the cinematography, in terms of literally the ties alone that everyone is wearing. Um, <laughs> but my thing is that the a lot of the dialogue is just so cheesy that I think out of I don't at least. Tom Cruise, I think, does a decent enough job trying to give some kind of veracity well, to these words. I think out of Tom Tom Hanks' mouth, it would have sounded so ridiculous. Yeah. Because I just don't... Because he already has... Just the timber to his voice has such a gravity to it that I don't think it would be able to ground this movie in anything. But keep in mind, he Tom Hanks at this time, they wanted to cast him because he had... Already won two Oscars for Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, and had been nominated for Apollo 13. No, I get it. I mean, Tom Hanks is fucking fantastic. I just don't think he would have worked in this. Right. Um, But they they weren't even going to approach Tom Cruise because he was like the biggest star at the time. I mean, he's still pretty big. Yeah. But at the time, he had the two biggest movies of 1996. This 
and Mission Impossible. Oh shit! Yeah, three months, uh, six months apart. Oh shit! Yeah, May and November. Damn. He, so you couldn't go to a video store or to kids if you're listening. A video store is where you used to rent VHS <laughs> tapes. VHS tapes were like you know really really thick iPads that only had tape in them and you had to play them on a vcr which i still have and i still have vhs tapes i had this on vhs you did yeah this movie was everywhere you couldn't go to a movie theater without seeing a giant cardboard cutout of of this you couldn't go to a video store without seeing a giant court i don't know how is it that i've gone this long without ever i still yet to this day because i didn't even finish watching it today yeah you're like can we just skip to the end like this is it was just so bad i couldn't do it but how is it that through my entire life i have never been in a situation where I've watched the whole thing all the way through. Because obviously I've seen a number of clips of the most classic moments. Right. Like the show me the money, you had me at hello, whatever. Um, and then I've seen it pop up in different, you know, movie lists or whatever. And so I've seen that. And, you know, flipping channels on the TV when I used to have cable, um, you know, it might be on and occasionally I might, it might just be on so I'd watch a little bit. So I've seen pieces of it i have yet to ever sit down and watch it all the way through and uh this is the most i've ever watched of it ever and it's a waste of fucking time we're gonna continue where you left off in the movie i don't even remember where i left off the first 41 minutes i know exactly where you left off uh he he just signed kush he just signed jerry okay yeah well can we go back here and talk about how stupid all the fucking people in this movie are because let's talk about jerry Maguire, you know doing his catcher in the rye and getting himself fired because how the fuck can you do that and not expect to get fired like you're in a high very high powered high money type of job and you're going to basically tell everyone, fuck you. The only way he should have left that job is if he invested in Google or Yahoo at that time. Yeah. <laughs> so so then he gets fired, obviously. And then he's like, will anyone come with me? Which I had asked you, is this the first time this popped up or was it already a cliche by I then? I think it was a cliche by then. I mean, this like signified that the most... This is most famous for, besides show me the money, is... And you had me at hello... For him, because everyone had their own moments in this movie. Right. Like Cuba had, uh, you know, show me the money. Renee Zellweger had shut up, shut up. You had me at hello. He had both you can play me in. I know what you're thinking. I'm not going to freak out. Yeah. I mean, I will, I will say this. While I did not enjoy this movie, I do think it was a good performance by Tom Cruise. Yeah. I mean, he's a good, he's a good actor, despite all of his, you know, Kukunis. He's he's a good actor. I like him as an actor. With with this entire movie, so we're gonna go to where you left off. Well, I also there's more stuff I want to touch on. Well, but yeah. I, I was gonna say yeah. let's go through where you left off and then we'll go back. Okay. Because I this is gonna be the fun. This is gonna be the meat of the podcast of me explaining and you interrupting me. Yeah. Well, can I interrupt you really quickly and just talk no. about how stupid uh, Renee Zellweger is for having for being a single parent, like with a young child living sta- in your sister's house, right? Not even being self sufficient, really standing up and deciding to quit your job with no guarantee of health benefits to cover you or your kid, uh, no guarantee of pay. All like, what you are you fucking fuck doing, Tom Cruise? I'm sorry, she is not. Yeah, as I said while watching this, she is one thirsty bitch because every time we saw a couple 
making out or anything in this movie. She's staring at them like she wants to join in. Like, obviously... Wow, wow, Dorothy, it must be really dry on that set because you thirsty. Seriously. So, and also she seems like a terrible parent the number of times she has lost track of her child. She, she loses lost... her kid six times in this movie. Seriously? Yeah, there, there's a scene where um, her and Cuba and Tom Cruise and Regina King are at like lunch and Regina King's water breaks. Um, and she's like, where are the kids? And they're like hiding underneath other people's tables. She just seems like a very irresponsible parent. Like you quit your job on a whim. You lose your kid in an airport. You lose your kid. Um, where what was if she it? lost her kid on the plane and you just look at it and the kid's on the wing? <laughs> I like just this movie. And also, oh, can we go back and talk about the opening scene or not the opening scene, but they're on the plane and she's overhearing their conversation, yeah, which is which is hard to believe that you can overhear a conversation in first class. Have you ever been on a plane? I can't hear anyone talking. No, when they're right I next can barely to me. hear it. No, because you have the buzzing of the plane of like the engine and the air circulation and shit. Plus, you have this moment with the which was just so overacted where she's like listening and eating the peanuts. Well, there was that. But then also that with um, Lip Nicky with like him like he's allergic to the blanket and then he pukes and the um the air um the flight attendant is like oh like they go in like they're really trying to hammer you over the head like this is a cute kid and in case you didn't know he was cute we're gonna aw when he yeah. throws up on the plane what it's just so fucking weird it's like at every point during this movie they tried to take some kind of theme and then take a giant hammer and whack you over the head with it in case you weren't getting it going back to where you left off okay fine so you left off with them going to the draft to the nfl draft okay um that's where kush so he gets jerry o'connell oh that's right he didn't sign he didn't make the guy he he quote-unquote secured another client he said he signed Right, which he didn't because there was no paper in hand. And yes, technically speaking, an oral agreement can technically be um, a a binding binding contract in court. However, if there's no one willing to testify that they were a witness um, and, you know, whatever. Both of those people aren't. Right. No, the only person it would be uh, he said he said he said. And then. You didn't fucking sign him because there was no physical contract. Like, it's as though it's his first day. Right. And he's been a agent for forever. And we'll we'll get into later about how awful Jay Moore is in this movie. Like, he who? gives a good performance. Bob Sugar, the guy, who, his buddy who fires him. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so they go to the NFL draft and... Uh, Rod basically gets the attention he needs from Jerry, but well, well, he's you know trying Rod. to make wait. Rod, which one's Rod? Cuba Gooding Jr. Okay. and Tom Cruise are meeting with all of these prospective like endorsement deals. Okay, and while that's going on, uh, Bo Bridges, Jerry O'Connell's dad, which this was the first movie that people saw Jerry O'Connell in since he was the fat kid in Stand By Me. <laughs> like, like they, they knew him from other stuff, but they're like, who's that kid? And it's like, oh, it's the fat kid from Stand By Me. That's funny. So they, they sign with Bob Sugar because, uh, you know, yokel Bo Bridges believes that the only person who can get Denver to sign is, is Jerry's old agency. Right. Because... He believes the lie 
that, you know, they're not going to listen to Jerry. Right. And, and he basically goes, you didn't sign a contract with Jay Moore, did you? And he goes, we signed this afternoon when you were with, and he says something really racist about Cuba Gooding Jr. Oh. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you off mic what he says, but it's it's pretty bad. I'm now well, imagining things and yikes. Yeah. Like, if you watch the, the video commentary, this was the first movie to have video DVD commentary of Cuba Gooding Jr., Renee Zellweger, and Tom Cruise watching it. And when, when Bo Bridges says his line, Cuba just goes, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yikes. <laughs> There was this, I mean, the list of ways this movie did not age well. So after he after he gets dumped by Jerry O'Connell, all he has is Cuba Gooden Jr. left, and he goes to uh, Kelly Preston, to Avery, and he's like, oh, blah, 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 and she says something really mean and makes it known that she doesn't care, and he breaks up with her. Don't tell a man who just screwed up both our lives. Oh, poor baby. That's me. For better or worse. But I do love you. Avery. Nope. It's over. Didn't hear it. There's something missing here, don't you think? You have never been alone. Listen to me. And you can't be alone. It's over. No one has ever dumped me. Oh, he breaks up with her. Yeah, because he realized she's just a shallow, superficial bitch. Okay. And, I mean, that was pretty obvious from the beginning, but all but, right. But she's kind of loyal to him. Like, even through all of this, she was sticking by his side. Huh. Also because... Because like, I, totally, I totally thought that she was going to be the one who was like, look how far you've fallen. No. Uh, no. Bye. He breaks up with her. She punches him in the face. Oh, my God. He gets drunk, goes to Dorothy's house. Oh, no. No, 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 no. And and then has a conversation with little boy Ray, Jonathan Lipnicki. Okay. Then Jonathan Lipnicki runs in his room, and then he makes a move on, on uh, Renee Zellweger. And then she's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. He's like, no, I'm like one of those creepy, uh, what does he say? He he compares himself to Clarence Thomas. Who's that? He was. Oh yes, I yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then from- wait. So so hold on. Okay. So basically, him and the fiance break up. Yeah. And it, then he goes to like Dor- that night. And then he goes to Dorothy's house that night. And then him and the kid have a conversation. And then him and Renee Zellweger hook up. Yeah. And then no, he- no, no, they don't hook up. They don't hook up. Oh, okay. No, no, no. He makes a move. Oh, he, he makes a move. They he don't doesn't have well. his shit together. Okay. And then, basically, I might be doing these two things out of order, but but uh, what's her name? Uh, Regina King gets so pissed off at Jerry because the only endorsement deal that he can get is this waterbed company right. in, in Tempe, Arizona. But they're a chain. Like, think of Mattress Firm or Mattress Giant. That's pretty big... But she wants Reebok. She wants yeah. Nike. She wants Pepsi. She wants Coke. Yeah. Uh, Coca-Cola, not cocaine. <laughs> I mean, hey, they both have high advertising value. Oh, in the trivia of this, it said Cuba Gooden Jr. and Regina King were both in Boys in the Hood. <laughs> like, that was, that was one of the... <laughs> which, have you ever seen Boys in the Hood? I have not. One of the greatest movies ever made. It's on my list of so, things to get around to. So good. But 
So uh, Regina King does a bitchy move. Like the only bitchy move she does in this movie is what I'm about to tell you. She threatens Jerry Maguire and she goes, where's Bob Sugar's number? I'm going to call him and we're going to go to the, the agency. And, and Cuba's like, stop. Like Jerry's doing his best. And Renee Zellweger stands up to her and is like, you know what? He is broke. He is broke, broke, broke. And hands her the, his manifesto, his mission statement. I'm like, read this. And he goes, I'm not trying to be a bitch. And, and Regina King is like, you're pretty good at it. Like, <laughs> that, was, that was pretty good. So then from there, they go on their first date. Jerry Maguire and... Oh, who asks who out? Uh, he asks her out. Okay. And waiting for them is the Manny... Her male nanny. Right. Played by the guy. How does she afford a nanny? I'm. It's implied that he's in love with her and he does it for free. Because he took that is not. I, I would not want someone who is in love with me, who I am not reciprocating, to watch, watch my, my kid. <laughs> she is a terrible fucking mother. Yeah. And also, Laurel is always there. Because apparently, Laurel only gets paid for hosting like these, these women divorce groups. That's her job? She, she's like... She's like a a woman's, you know, rights. She's like an advocate. Okay, but she gets paid for this shit? I, I think. That's her job. Kind of like people who are in charge of, like, AA meetings. Like, people who work for Alcoholics Anonymous, they do get oh. paid for running those meetings, I That's, believe. I didn't know that. Or any type of... If you work for a nonprofit, she works for, like, a nonprofit for, for you know, uh, women who are survivors of abusive marriages. Got it. Um... Considering how, like, all these women are meeting at night, like, I don't understand why the sister isn't necessarily having more of a role in the child care. I have a confession to make. I've listened to you all tell a thousand sob stories, and, um, well, I've been very judgmental. Well, maybe you're all correct, you know? Men are the enemy. Thank you. No, they're not But, but, but I still love the enemy. I don't know. I just don't get it. And she just seems like a terrible parent. So, uh, yeah. Jerry and Dorothy go on a date and they they bonk. They okay. Bone. That classy. Go on. Yeah. Uh, to mention in that, the Manny gives him a tape of Miles Davis to play while they're having sex. That is so fucking weird. Um, and so they do it. And the next morning... Uh, Jerry overhears her say that she's in love with Jerry. But I was just about to tell you uh-huh. that I love him. I do. I love him. I love him. And I don't care what you think. I love him for the, for the man he wants to be, and I love him for the man that he almost is. I love him, Laurel. I love him. I... Love him. Hi, Jerry. Act natural. She loves him for the man he is and the man he wants to be. (laughs) Oh, no, the man he almost is. Oh, ouch. The man he almost is and the man he wants to be. Ouch. And How is she already in love with him? Have I missed all of the moon eyes? I I think it's, it's... it's I mean, Im- she was she was clearly already in love with him on the plane. She was when- in love with him. I think she. I think it's implied that she's been stalking him at CMI 
Well, when she worked there for considering the last Considering she was li- oh, listening to him tell this story about how he pre- proposed to his fiance and was listening so lovingly. And I had thought originally she was doing that because she was so desperate to find a man. Well, you find out that she's a widow. Oh, that's depressing. Yeah. She, she says that, you know, I didn't want to be a widow at 25. I was married to a man who, you know, wasn't great to me. Oh. Yeah, and you find this out. And while she's like saying how much she loves him and how she's a widow, Lip Nikki goes, Hi Jerry, who's listening in, in the hallway and and they both freak out, both uh, uh Bonnie Hunt and Renee Zellweger f- freak out and Bonnie Hunt pops her head around the corner and goes, Hi <laughs> and 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 she goes, Oh my god, did he hear that? And she goes, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then basically, this is this, this this movie. Literally, it's like they opened a book of cliches and just picked them out and then threw them in here. And I mean, I know this is '96, so I know that a lot of cliches may have started with this movie, but which it just adds to why this movie doesn't age well. Because I'm like, everything in here is the cheesiest, most cliched thing I've ever heard. But still, I have seen plenty of movies for the first time many years later that are around the same time or even earlier that play on certain expected tropes and cliches that are better than this. Okay, so the reason why Tom Hanks isn't in this movie is because he was making one of my favorite movies of all time, That Thing You Do. I haven't seen it, but okay. You would like it. It's so cheesy. It's it's like, you know, it's basically about a band that's like the Beatles. Okay. And he plays their agent or their manager and he wrote and directed it. It's fun. It's cute. Okay. It's really cute. All right. Um, it came out around the same time as this. Yeah. But he didn't do do this because he was doing that. And he made the better choice. That movie is a comedy. Uh, what does it say right on as we're looking at the voodoo screen for this? What does it say this movie is? Comedy romance. Is this a comedy? I don't know. I, I, I honestly it's couldn't not tell. Funny. <laughs> I honestly couldn't tell. I like... I was too annoyed at everything to find anything funny. I mean, the only funny character in this movie is, is Cuba Gooden Jr. Yeah. And and like It's not written it's not written like a comedy though. No. It's no. written like a romance slash semi drama. So when it was when it was nominated for its awards, was it in the comedy category? Yeah. Yeah. Weird. He won Tom Cruise won for best comedic actor. Because when I no, think of comedy, no, no, there's no, only no, no. one comedy role I'll ever think of Tom Cruise in, and that's Tropic Thunder. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, that's I would about agree. It. I mean, I, I, an argument can be made for that movie that he did with Cameron Diaz, Night and Day. I don't know that one. He's like a James Bond agent who she like goes on a date with and sleeps with, and then she becomes a target, and he's like, oh, hey, and he's trying to keep her safe the entire <laughs> movie. I mean, Rock of Ages was pretty hilarious. Get the fuck out of here. Fucking love that movie. I know. You were on the podcast, right? I know. It was great. <laughs> it's so bad. It's good. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Cuba Gooden Jr., Rod Tidwell, is being like a prima donna the entire movie to a certain point. Like, he finally pisses Jerry off because he's like, I'm better than everyone. I want to do this. I want to do that. And Jerry basically is like, you know what? Fuck you. Like, seriously. That is not what inspires people. Shut up. Play the game. Play it from your heart. And you know what? I will show you the quant. And that's the truth, man. That's the truth. Can you handle it? It's just a question between friends. You know? Oh, and when they call you shrimp, I'm the one who defends you. I want to be friends no more. 
fine. And quit using that word, Quan. You, because all you do is bitch and moan, and this is why you're not getting these endorsement deals. Because you're a great ball player, but you're like the sixth best ball player, mm. you know, on this team. And I mean, that's kind of. I mean, I think that's kind of fair. Like, you want all of these endorsements, and that's great, but you can't keep talking like you're the biggest badass player on the planet because you're not. Yeah, so that softens Cuba, and he basically um, wises up. Okay. And and from there, he starts doing the waterbed mattress commercials, and this is the craziest thing. This waterbed mattress commercial has a camel in it. He's supposed to be... It has a camel in it? He's supposed to be like one of the three wise men bringing deals to people. I don't get it. Uh, it It's so weird, and even if you saw the scene, you wouldn't you know, be able to understand it. And that camel apparently caused chaos on the set. Hmm. It, it bit oh, so Tom, it was a real fucking camel? It was a real camel. It bit Tom Cruise. It kicked Cuba in the face. Camels it, are bitches. And it stomped over like a PA. Oh my God. Yeah. Camels are assholes. Imagine being the poor PA who, you know, can never work again and is on, you know, basically, I, I don't know if they became paralyzed, but... But like it was that bad. It was pretty. It, a camel walked all over them. Like, well, when you said walked all over, I'm picturing stamping on his stomping on his foot or something. I like I, the guy tripped and then the camel basically walked on him. Yeah, that's bad. Jesus Christ, that could have killed him. Yeah, yeah. Imagine being where like, was it? Where was the camel wrangler? Imagine being like, uh, yeah, I can I can never do another movie again because i was working on a movie and i got crushed oh were you working on like indiana jones or no i was working on jerry Maguire. and it was the fucking camel from the fucking uh, mattress commercial. i got run over by the camel from jerry Maguire. there's a camel in jerry Maguire. yeah dorothy realizes she she does decide to be a responsible mom and be like i can't afford this life ray and i have to go to san diego no fucking shit it's about goddamn time jesus yeah so she packs up and guess what jerry does he goes with her he proposes marriage so that she'll stay. That's why he proposes? I told you you would forget. That's why he proposes. Wait a minute. Okay, hold on. So she's basically like, I don't got no money mm-hmm. because you don't pay me because I up and quit my job without a plan. And I realized that was a bad idea. And I have an opportunity to go get another job. And then he's like, marry me. And somehow that will fix anything. I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, you, okay. So you sound exactly like Bonnie Hunt is watching. Her, her sister's watching from the window of the house. And she's like, get in the car. Get in the car. Mm-mm, no, no, don't. She, she's watching it all happen. She's like, don't, don't. She's- I don't even understand how this would convince Dorothy to marry him. because So, I mean, I get it that she, like she's already in love with him. That That's but, why. She, but how she's is a love, it? She's a lovesick she's puppy. She's the fucking stupidest person in this fucking movie. Like, you, she, she really makes is the, the dumbest. worst choices. So let me get this straight. You have an opportunity to support your family in another state. But instead, you're going to have... Same this... state. I thought she said Texas. San Diego. Oh. Um, Still California. Uh, Just oh, closer what? to Texas. But they're in LA, right? Yeah. Oh, San Diego's not that far from LA, is it? No, it is. Oh, I don't know. three hours. Okay. So either way, she's going to be like, I'm going to go to San Diego and support my family. And he's going to be like, no, don't do that. Marry me instead. And she's like, well, I'm a thirsty bitch, so okay. Like, here's what I don't understand is why 
she thinks that somehow marrying him will mean that she can now support her son. It doesn't. It makes no sense. Like, but you do get the most delightful thing at at their wedding ceremony. Is you, it something with Lip Nikki? No, it's Cuba oh. Gooden Jr. Okay. Do they have like a proper wedding and everything? In their backyard. Why did he? Why did Tom Cruise propose in the first place? Because he just didn't want her to go. Well, re- remember what they said in his his bachelor party video, which was the most disgusting, bizarre fucking thing I've yeah, ever you, watched. You have, you have his fiance at the time. Kelly Preston, you have Avery going, uh, he, uh, destroying his little black book with a blowtorch. Which is so, and but they, what they did was they got every girl he's ever fucked to be on this video. If you like, why would you agree to do that? And then, of course, I was distracted because Ainsley Hayes showed up. Yeah, <laughs> and and they're like, he can't be alone. He's scared of intimacy. This is like the most depressing. Who whose idea f- was this to bring to a bachelor party? Like this is so bizarre, and it's like clearly. But it's she not... made the video. His fiance at the time made the video and because the... I guess she thought it was funny. Well, the fucked up thing is that Dorothy saw the video too. A few times you find out at the end of the movie, which is really gross. Why did she find it? And like, Why how did, did she find wa- it? Why did she watch it? And she also said at one point that she watched it a lot. Yeah. Why did you fucking do that? That is weird and it is gross. And also, that's how you know he he can't be alone. They've said it so many times. He can't be alone. So that's what it is. Is basically he left his job or he got fired from his job, which really, I mean, he got himself fired from that job. Yeah. And it, then it's not one of those. It's nobody's fault. No, it's his fault. No, you did that to yourself. You shouldn't have wrote in a if, manifesto. If you wanted to change things, you could have done that without blowing up your career. Right. And so then... He's going off on his own and the only person to come with him is Dorothy. And so then somehow he like imprints on her and or like, like he's Jacob from, from like Twilight? they or like they imprint on each other or something. And now he's so desperate to keep her nearby because he's a lonely piece of shit that uh, he must keep her close. And so please don't go marry me. I basically know you're in love with me. So you won't leave me if I ask you to marry me. And it doesn't matter that you can't support your kids. Those damn Thedans from Scientology. Like this is the dumb. Yeah, it's like this is the dumbest fucking shit. This is so dumb. So at the wedding uh reception cuba gooden jr in a mariachi band saying what's going on by marvin gay that's fucking hilarious but this is gonna drive you crazy okay he doesn't say i love you or wrap his arms around her at the at the wedding they're in the kitchen and he gives her a high five and says we did it oh no oh no 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 what that's why that's why when Renee Zellweger says the line that I've got this great guy and he loves my kid and he sure does like me a lot. I don't understand why she would agree to marry this guy. She realizes it later when it's too late. You like, dumb so, fuck. So so they're like getting upset and they're having like an argument in bed after. So it's after. um after he, high, he high fives her at, at the he high fives her hey we did it like, like it's, it's not, not like, like it's not like a like a yeah it's like one of those things where like you put your hand up and they put your hand up and like they've wrapped their hand around it like it's like a a handshake high oh, five gross but this it's not like one of them 
needed health insurance and the other one had it and they got married so that the or other like person... Or like one of them needed a green card. Or I was, that was going to be my next example. And it was like a, we're friends, but we're going to, I'm going to, we're going to do this for each other. Like the movie Green Card. Who, who cares if this is fraud or illegal? We're going to do it, blah, blah, blah. This is like a, this had no purpose to it. There, this was not a marriage of, convi- like, he... I, this was a marriage of loneliness. These were two lonely people who needed something. She wanted, basically, not to be gross, but she wanted to be fucked by a hot guy. Obviously. But, oh, come on! Thirsty bitch! She's thirsty through this whole fucking well, movie. That was another problem I had with this movie. Like, so this is one of these movies that, like, I loved growing up. And, like, like the only reason why I have it here is because my, my you know, Blu-ray a long time ago came with a free copy. Yeah. I used to love watching this all the time. Because I didn't understand it. But now watching it now, there is a line where Tom Cruise says that all of the agents, including himself, are out of shape. Then the next scene is his shirt is off and he is like ripped. Ripped. Yeah. Well, it's Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise. Of course, he's fucking ripped. Yeah. I'm like, how the hell are you out of shape? Yeah. No. He's. Yeah. It. uh, You could have just ditched the line. Why have that line in there? It makes no fucking sense. Because Cameron Crowe is very meticulous with his lines and, like, his writing and stuff. Like, this is the guy who wrote Almost Famous and Say Anything, which are two of, like, my favorite films of all time. Say Anything is great. Say Anything is a movie where you think it's just about the, you know, uh, kind of optimistic, loner John Cusack character in love with the most popular girl in school. And then, no, you find out that her dad is guilty of, like, insurance fraud or IRS. IRS fraud. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I haven't seen Say Anything, so I don't know. You would like Say Anything. All right. I think you would. I know. The only thing and I know about Say Anything is the whole John box. Cusack with the boombox thing. Right. Yeah. And then, like, uh, Almost Famous is, like, one of the greatest it's movies. great fucking movie. Yeah. So, he was on Hot Streak. He made, he made this, uh, he made Say Anything, then he made Singles, then he made this, then he made Almost Famous. And he was, like, untouchable. Yeah. And he follows up Almost Famous with Vanilla Sky. And <laughs> then his career starts to tank. Then he, I wonder why. Then he did uh, Elizabethtown. He oh. followed that up with We Bought a Zoo. And then did Aloha. And Oh, my God. It was like, it's just like a downward slope to hell. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. This one made him like, everyone was so encompassed by this movie. I just don't understand why. That, like, I... Okay, so... I, I really don't get it. So I was going to save this for, like, the end of the podcast. We're halfway through, but... <sighs> this was the, the year of really depressing movies, like, for award season. So this was the most lighthearted out of The English Patient, Fargo, uh, Secrets and Lies, and Shine. Hmm. Those are all very depressing movies. Okay, but this was in the comedy category. Because all those movies, they wanted to nominate this for something and they needed something funny. I just don't understand why they were so desperate to nominate this at all. Why did they nominate The Martian for Best Comedy? The Martian- <laughs> they nominated The Martian for Best Comedy? At the Golden Globes. It's not a comedy. That's hilarious. It got nominated for a comedy or musical and they asked Matt Damon uh, uh, why he thought it should be nominated for Best Comedy and he goes, uh, it's a musical. <laughs> I mean, Th- this is an example of it. This is not a comedy. This is not. It's a com- not a comedy, and it's also not that good of a movie. It's like they literally just were like, "Well, we need something," so I guess this one. Well, 
the thing that you missed is Cuba gives the the scene that made him like win the Oscar was not everyone thinks it's the show me the money scene. Well, we're we gonna be friends now. What do you know about dating a single mother? No plenty. I was raised by a single mother. Well, tell me because I think after this she's gonna have to take that job in San Diego. First of all, single mothers don't date. They've uh, watch it, watch it. Say. They don't date. They've they've been to the circus. You know what I mean? <laughs> they've been to the puppet show and they've seen the strings. Do you love her? How do I know? I mean, how you know? You know when you know. He basically says uh, he shoplift. He shoplifted the pooty. What? He he basically you know took advantage of a single mom. Okay, that is what I thought it yeah. was. Okay. And and he basically says, you need to, do you love her? And he goes, I like her a lot. And he's like, well, if you don't love her, then you need to be honest with her. And Cuba gives this entirely great speech about how much he loves his wife and how much he loves Regina, how much he loves Regina King as his wife and all that stuff. Yeah. And it's like one of the best scenes in the entire movie. Okay. And Tom Cruise, as Jerry Maguire, is just like, oh, okay, okay, all right, all right. Like, 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 I mean, I didn't shoplift the pooty. Yeah, okay. And the, what's her name? Renee Zelliger starts to realize, okay, he doesn't really like me, and they're having a fight one night. You didn't realize that when he high fived you after your wedding. <laughs> he high fived you, and apparently after like, your wedding. Like, so they're watching the playback at the wedding. They're watching at the wedding the playback of their wedding videotape. Well, it's like Inception. They're watching the... (laughs) And he's watching the video and he's sweating and wiping his brow and he looks really nervous and really upset. And she's watching him and she then realizes, oh, she pulls a Joe Bluth from Arrested Development. She's like, I've made a huge mistake. No shit. Because you're dumb. You're dumb. Yeah, and uh, she realizes the only reason why he's with her is because of Ray. Because, you know, him and Ray had the whole, the human head, it weighs eight pounds and blah, blah, blah. And like, and they're fighting and they're arguing and Ray comes in and he's like, can I watch TV? And she goes, no. And he says, yeah, for a little bit, bud. And then he like snuggles with Ray on the bed watching TV. And she's like, oh my God, he doesn't love me. Jesus Christ. And the cow goes moo. Like, I just I just don't fucking get it. So it's like, I get it. Okay, so he marries her, and then he realizes how much he loves the kid. And he wants to be a parent to the kid. Right. And that's what, you know, he ends up attaching himself to whatever. And then she finally realizes. Yeah, now we're caught up to where, where we picked up. Oh, that was it? Yeah, it takes it. It takes it forty-five minutes to get to that, or an hour to get to. That was not that much. Well, they draw it out. Clearly. Yeah, the, there there are scenes with him bumping into his ex again, and it's implied that she's like fucking Bob Sugar. She's fucking the of guy. Of course. And like they're at this conference thing, and she's like loser, and like she literally does the. Oh my God, they're like all so immature in this movie. You missed it, everyone, because Mallory and I are in the same room right now. I took an L, put it to my head. <laughs> like I just, I just don't, I don't fucking get it. Because the, then we, we picked up at the whole her dumping speech him. of like, you love my kid, you like me a lot. 
how devastating. I mean, that, ooh. I mean, that's a good, I mean, I will say this. That is a good scene. It's a good scene, but how devastating is it to realize that? Not for him. Yeah, Who gives a shit about Jerry Maguire? No, he sucks. But for her, I mean, no, I won't say for her. I'm sorry. You're an idiot. Have some foresight. Think things through and maybe stop being so selfish. I don't fucking know. Once again, she wants to fuck Tom Cruise. Yeah. And so it's like. I mean, I would think to anyone, like, you're in love with someone and they ask you to marry them and you're so blind to it that you can't see that it's not a good situation and you just are so desperate to be happy. And then you come to this realization that um, you have a guy that you're with who is great to your kid, who loves your kid, who can be a dad to your kid, and who likes you a lot. Though I will say that's better than some marriages that I know. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's a lot better than a lot of marriages. Like, uh, have we heard of John Wayne Bobbitt? Like, no. Lorena Bobbitt. Oh, did they kill people? No, he, he got his peepee cut off by her. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember shit. You know this. Yeah, and with with Renee Zellweger, her casting in this, she was like an eleventh hour hire. Originally, they were going to go with Connie Bryden from. Uh, American Horror Story. Yeah, she was on Spin yeah. City at the time. I'm thinking of the same one. Um, the Redhead. Yeah, from um, uh, Nashville. Yes. Yeah. That's the only thing I've seen her in. Yeah. Well, she was a young actress at this time. Yeah. And she was on Spin City with... with... She was on West Wing. I'm just going to point out all the West Wing yeah. people. Ainsley Hayes. And they were about to cast her, and they're like, okay, let's let this Renee Zellweger girl audition. And she kissed Tom Cruise in her scene, and they're like... Ooh, the chemistry. Yeah, all right. I mean, I don't think their chemistry is bad. It's just it's not, Mar- Marissa Tomei would have been dynamite in this role. Honestly, if if it was Marissa Tomei, she probably won another. She would have won another Oscar. Yeah, she would dynamite, dynamite like, in this. I'm trying to think of. Oh yeah, because she would have my cousin Vinny. No, I'm thinking of who was nominated for best supporting actress at oh. this time. Well, I know that's what she won her first Oscar for. Right. Yeah. It is best movie ever. Yeah, I love that movie. So, Frances McDormand won for Fargo. Yep. I believe it was Juliet Binoche for The English Patient. Okay. She would have, if it was Marissa Tomei, she would have won. Yeah. She would have been fantastic in this. And she would have, you wouldn't have felt like Dorothy is dumb. That's the thing. And it's like, not that I have anything against Renee Zellweger at all. I, I like was, her as an this, actress. This was her first leading role. Like, she was in movies, like, she had... Because Bridget Jones was a couple of years after this, wasn't Bridget it? Bridget Jones was like... 98? No, it was 2001. The first one? Yeah. I thought it was earlier than that. It was 2001. It was five years after this. Okay. And she, this was her first main, like, leading role. Okay. She was in Empire Records and Texas Chainsaw Massacre of the Next Generation. Okay. Before this. And those were, like, bit parts in both. This is, like, a role where she literally had to act yeah and i don't think she's good in it but i don't yeah i don't think it's a bad performance per se it's just it's not right for this because she does i mean granted the writing makes her dumb because she makes dumb choices but if it but i do agree that if it was a different actress like marissa tomei or even mira sorvino yeah any but like i just but mira sorvino was doing Remy and michelle at the time so that's fine mira sorvino who am I thinking is Mira Sorvino? Mira Sorvino is Romy from Romy and Michelle. Oh, I was thinking somebody completely different. Yeah. 
Marissa Tomei would have been great. I think I would have taken Marissa Tomei in this over um, Maria Marina. So what is Mira her name? Sorvino. Mira Sorvino. But I'm saying like like if they couldn't get Marissa Tomei, go with Mira Sorvino. Yeah, because they would have just like I said, I that there would have been more of a some kind of grounding to it. I gotta look it up. I gotta see what Marissa Tomei was doing in '96 because if she was doing something terrible and and she she didn't get this it would have been like a fucking travesty yeah i mean you know how i feel about marissa tomei i mean she she's she's 55 or 56 now and she looks fantastic she's fucking gorgeous amazing gorgeous she would have been i just she, i just think she would have been a better choice because i think renee zellweger is playing her very Kind naive. of, n- yeah, naive, kind of aloof, kind of sweet and innocent, and blah blah blah. And I think Marissa Tomei would have made it more of, uh, I'm making these choices that might seem on the surface to be irresponsible or dumb, but I have strong convictions, and that's why I'm doing it. But and instead, she just comes off as as stupid. She was doing unhook the stars. Um. So basically, she plays a woman who, after her abusive... I'm gonna, do you want me to literally read the description of this movie? Sure. After her abusive husband leaves, Monica asks her neighbor to look after her son while she's at work. Mildred's angry daughter just moved out, so she's happy to have JJ around. So basically, um, Jenna Rollins plays an old lady who doesn't have uh, her daughter around anymore, and Marissa Tomei needs someone to watch her kid. She did that instead of doing Jerry Maguire. Mm. She should have been in Jerry Maguire. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just, I really just don't get it about this movie. I mean, the way people talk about this movie. I, like, it, it's just a mystery to me. The most impactful scene is when, and I, this is why I wanted you to see it. Not the whole, you know, this trip is a breakup type of thing. But the scene after where where Rod gets hurt, because mm-hmm. that shows like Regina King in that scene. She's fantastic. In that, I love Regina King. In that scene where she, where she is watching her husband who might be dead, because let's talk about that tackle he takes. Oh, my God. When they show it and he's like flipped over, it looks like he broke his fucking neck. Yeah. Falling down on the ground. And he is on the ground. He is blacked out. He is out cold. Yeah. Meanwhile, you had me here. I'm watching this. And I'm like, concussion protocol. And you're like, it's 1996. <laughs> I was just like, why is nobody taking him to the hospital? Because why is no nobody... one cared about concussions at this point. Yes, I know. But it was frustrating to me. Like, this was. Around... The doctors are just clapping over his face, hoping he'll wake up. I'm like, this is the dumbest shit. He could, he could have brain swelling. He could have an aneurysm. He, he could have had a broken neck. You should be stabilizing him and taking him to the hospital. If he hits his head again, he could literally die. Or, like, there have been people who have played in the NHL and the NFL who, after sustaining concussions, they become suicidal, they become abusive. If we think about it, the, the hockey player at the beginning where Drake Rowell... Oh, it was a hockey player? Yeah, he was a hockey okay. player. He played for Chicago. I, I, but, I didn't... I, it wasn't clear to me what but sport it was, he was. That, so that was played by Toby, Toby Huss, who was on... Do you remember Pete and Pete? Ah, uh, not really. I remember... Uh, so the guy who was in the hospital bed? Yeah, he, I've seen him in so much he shit. He was Artie, the strongest man. 
in the world from Pete and Pete. Oh, I have no idea. Uh, King of the Hill, he plays... Nope. Okay. Uh, I've seen him in stuff. I know, like... Do you remember Bedazzled with uh, Brendan Fraser? I love that movie! He's one of the guys. He He's he's when when he becomes the rich and intellectual, he plays Brendan Fraser's husband. Oh! Yeah. Okay. So, I, I know I've seen him in a ton of shit. But that character, Steve Remo, who plays for Chicago, he's been hit in the head so many times. Oh, that was a real person he was playing? No. Oh. No, that was his character. He's, Sorry, I'm I Steve Remo. Confused. I played for Chicago. Oh, okay. Four concussions in the year. He could be a danger to himself, to his family, to his son. Like, it's amazing he's still walking and talking at that point. Yeah, at that point, like he should be spitting out teeth. Yeah. I mean, I will... That's what I'll say about this movie is that, you know, I don't know when they started doing proper concussion protocol for 2000. They did. Okay. 2001. Because I will say that because one of my frustrations with this movie watching it was what the hell is the message supposed to be later? It might have been like 2014. they started really looking very into, like very late and they, they, they and there was into a, it after Aaron Hernandez and there was a lot that they were um, doing to prevent um, proper concussion protocol from being because they think that thing. the way that it changes the brain chemistry. That's why you have people who commit murders who were athletes not saying anyone in particular. The year was 1994. There's a white Bronco chase. Just saying there was mm-hmm. an entire American crime story about it. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're Cuba referring Gooding to. Jr. played that guy too. I have no idea what you're referring to. Hmm. Well, okay. I'm thirsty. I, I might need something that has orange and juice in it. Hmm. I'm clueless. But anyways, I'm watching this movie thinking, what is the message here? I, like, because I'm I'm not getting it. But if there's anything I can take away from it, at least in the beginning, they're addressing the seriousness of, of concussions or whatever. Because you do have, um, what is it, Drake Bell? Yeah. Th- we don't say it that way. Drake Bell. Oh, we have Drake Bell. Um, we have that kid basically telling Jerry, fuck you. Because yeah, that's what causes all of this. Because when- Well, I know. I know. I'm just saying, like, though I think, I mean, yeah, okay. That sends him into a tailspin because he's like, I'm not caring enough about my clients. But at least you do have that addressed that um, you can see how impactful having concussions are and how dangerous they are. And then towards the end with um, Cuba Gooding Jr. getting hit really bad. And and then you have Regina King worrying that he's going to be dead. And Tom Cruise getting upset that he's seriously hurt. How the fuck Regina King was not nominated for an Oscar for this with her... You know, crying, going, Jerry, please tell me what's going on. I don't know. I, I feel like she should just be nominated for an Oscar for anything she's in. I mean, she is so close to winning an EGOT because she has an Emmy. She has an Oscar. I believe she has a Tony. She just needs a Grammy. If she does a book on tape. I was just going to say book on tape. Do, do a, a book, book on, on tape. tape and you will have all of them. But she can sing, can't she? She can sing. She can sing. Yeah. I mean, she was in Ray. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. So- speaking of Ray what uh going through people who were almost cast there were five people before cuba gooden jr who auditioned for the role and three of them were seriously considered okay jamie fox i assumed he was on in living color at this time yep um damon waynes oh no that, that would have been weird jamie fox i could see will smith Will Smith, I could also say. But he say. did Independence Day instead. Yeah. Well, that worked out well for him. But I'm wondering, 
if they switched it around and Cuba did Independence Day and he did Jerry Maguire, I think it would have been weird. Right? I think I think Jerry Maguire still would have been kind of the same. I think Independence Day would not have been. Yeah. Like, I don't think Cuba Gooding Jr. would necessarily have done the same thing that Will Smith did with Independence Day. Uh, who else was? Oh, Don Cheadle. Oh. Huh. Would have been weird. I don't know what I think about that. Don Cheadle. I can't see him in this. I can't either. He's too Don Cheadle. Yeah. <laughs> I have no I have no other way to say that other than that Don Cheadle is too Don Cheadle to Don Cheadle this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't remember who the last person was. I'll probably think of it later. It was a weird choice. It's not like it's not like it was like Denzel Washington or anyone, but it was like a choice that will leave you going like Oh, it it was uh it was it was Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Eddie Murphy? Yeah. Um, Thank God he was doing Nutty Professor. Instead. Yeah, this is not an Eddie Murphy movie. No. So was Cuba Gooding Jr. the first choice, or no? He knocked it out of the park with his audition. Oh, he did. Okay. No, they they when they auditioned people, like I guess they offered it to uh, Eddie Murphy right away, and he's like, no, he did Nutty. Oh, he did like Nutty without Perfect. auditioning. He's like, I would be billed after Tom Cruise. No, of no, course. I would not be top billed. No, which you know understandable he was it's like the most Eddie successful Murphy. yeah he's the most successful comedic actor they're saying this is a comedy and he'd be under and this is not a comedy i mean this is not an Eddie murphy kind of movie he wouldn't be able to shine in this right but then like on if if i'm being honest for me it'd be between him and jamie fox yeah i think jamie fox could pull this off jamie fox would have been great will smith i, I think he could do it it's I'm curious. Yeah. So curious what this movie would be like. With yeah. Will. But uh, the little touchdown dance. Yeah. The little touchdown dance. I would call that not his little. His touchdown dance was choreographed by Paul Abdul. Really? <laughs> yep. That's cute. I'm straight up telling you. That's funny. Yeah. And for the final people who were almost cast, Regina King was the first choice. First and only choice. Yeah. For Marcy. Fair. Like. The only other person I can see is probably Jada. Okay. But that's it. Eh. Eh. Like, like, if it, it makes sense with Cuba and Regina King because of Boys in the Hood, but, but if it was Will Smith and Jada, it would have made sense. Yeah. Eh. Still. Yeah. Regina, I mean, I'll not be, I can see other people in other roles. Regina King's the only one I can see that doing that. So for Avery, for Kelly Preston's role, Jennifer Conley, she said no. Okay. Meg Ryan said no. Me- oh, no, not but Meg Ryan. Yeah, that would have been a throwaway. Not role. Meg Ryan. Alyssa Milano. What? Alyssa Milano? Oh, I'm, th- okay. She's too young there. No. I guess not. No. She would have been around the same age as Renee Zellweger. Yeah, okay. Uh, Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman? All right. There were some other really weird choices. I think Patricia Arquette was one of them. Oh. There were a lot of weird choices. I don't know. I like Kelly Preston. Kelly Preston's great. And for for the role of Jerry Maguire, we said Tom Hanks, but they never thought they were going to be able to get Tom Cruise. Right. So they sent it to... Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Okay. They sent it to John Travolta. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And he said no, but he showed the script to Kelly Preston, and he was like, yeah, try out for one of these women. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
And there were a few other weird choices. Oh, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. And Woody Harrelson said... I think this movie would have been a comedy with Woody Harrelson in it. This movie would have been great with Woody Harrelson. But he's like, no one's going to give a shit about an agent. And it's not... I don't. I do not. I am one of those who does not give a shit about a sports agent going through this emotional journey. But he made the better movie instead. He made The People vs. Larry Flint instead. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it, but I've heard that's a very good movie. Yeah, it's a very good movie. Woody Harrelson would have been fucking fantastic. Chevy Chase was one of the people. Chevy Chase? This would have been no fucking awful. way. This would have been no awful fucking way. Chevy Chase. No way. Because this was around the time you you know the stories about Chevy Chase breaking people in Hollywood, right? Breaking people, like emotionally. Um, I've heard he's treated people horribly. Like when he was making uh, memoirs of an invisible man, he kept trying to. He's like, I want to make a serious movie. I want to make a movie about the isolation of being invisible and how lonely it is. And the studio was like, No, we got to make it a comedy. You're Chevy Chase. Yeah. So he gets John Carpenter, director of Halloween and The Thing, to make it because he'll do it seriously. And he tortured and broke John Carpenter to the point where John Carpenter will talk about every movie he's made. And a lot of them are bad, but he will not talk about Invisible Man because Chevy Chase broke him. Imagine Chevy Chase breaking Cameron Crowe. Well, considering how his career went. Yeah. Uh no, yeah. Chevy Chase in this would have been a disaster. It would have been awful. I mean, I think this movie sucks anyways, but it really would have sucked with Chevy Chase. Yeah. I mean, it would have softened the blow, but I mean, right now it's softened the blow, but with Chevy Chase, it just would have been like balls to the wall insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, can we talk about the, the him in the women's group? We live in a cynical world. A cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You complete me. And I just had... Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. Where he just shows up and he's like, I want my wife. Yeah. I mean, it's a little, it's, I don't know. It's just a little awkward and uncomfortable. I want my wife. But I guess, well, it has to be in front of the women's group so they can all ooh and ah over it. And be like, oh, the But aren't they talking about how awful their marriages were? Yeah. Well, that's, you know, they're going for. one of those women is Cameron Crowe's mom. Oh, really? The woman oh, that's in the what, hat. Yeah, that's what you pointed out. I mean, I guess they're going for a juxtaposition here, that they're all talking about how much they hate men, and men are the enemy, and blah, blah, blah. And then- Alec Baldwin was the other person. Oh. Alec Baldwin and Johnny Depp. Ugh, Johnny Depp. Um, I, I only say, ugh, Johnny Depp, just because it's always fucking Johnny Depp with shit. Um, Alec Baldwin, I could see. I, because this, is this still skinny Alec Baldwin? Yeah. Yeah, this is before... You got Beetlejuice. When, when did Beetlejuice come out? Eighty nine or eighty eight? Oh no, uh, no. When did um? What about Death of a? I'm thinking like I'm picturing Death of a Salesman. What year was Death of a Salesman? You mean Prelude to a Kiss? <laughs> Wait, he wasn't in Death. You're talking about a Streetcar Named Desire. No, he did a whole thing with Death of a Salesman. He wasn't in Death of a Salesman. Maybe I'm thinking. I don't know. I saw this whole thing with him making this huge speech. Yeah, that was that was um. Uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Was it? Yeah. That was around this time. 
Okay, that's what I'm picturing. Streetcar Named Desire was around this time. Okay, that's what I'm picturing. Yeah. He would have been interested. The movie would not be a commercial success if it was Alec Baldwin. No, but I think if it was Alec Baldwin, and I think you had the right person oh, playing... Oh, you're thinking of Glengarry Glen Ross. That's what I was thinking that of. That was... Yes. This was Glengarry Glen Ross time. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Glengarry Glen Ross. Put the fucking coffee down. Yeah. Um, What's your name? Fuck you is my name. <laughs> That's what I mean. I could have seen. I could have seen Alec Baldwin in this, assuming they had the I right person. I could see him more as Bob Sugar in the Jay Moore. Well, movie. yeah, I could see that, or I could just see him, and I could just see him in this movie in places. I also think that um, I wish Bob Sugar was an older actor. Yeah, it should have been Alec Baldwin. Um, so, holy shit, uh, he did four movies in '96. Alec Baldwin? Yeah, he did The Juror. Fucking Machine. Heaven's Prisoner, Ghosts of Mississippi, and then he ended it with The Edge. Damn. The Edge was like the beginning of 97. Gotcha. So, holy shit. They could not have gotten Alec Baldwin. No, he would have been too busy. But I could just see him in this. I think he would have been a better choice for Sugar. For Bob Sugar, most definitely. Yeah. Jay Moore is just like, he, he was, at this time, he just got fired from SNL. Who? Jay Moore. Oh, is that the guy who played Sugar? Yeah. Okay. He was on SNL. I didn't know he was on SNL. Yeah. He was on SNL. He did a bunch of voiceover work. Do you remember the movie Polly with the Parrot? No. He played Polly the Parrot. Mm. <laughs> um, he he did a whole bunch of bit stuff. He was in a, one of those airplane style movies, Mafia, when they did. I don't know. I know I've seen him in shit. Yeah. He's not very good <laughs> in this. He's like, Okay. He's but, a cartoon. That's the thing. He's a cartoon. That's the problem with a lot of the shit in this movie is that I don't take a lot of it really. Seriously? No, I don't take any of it seriously because it's just all too cheesy and the performances are too on the surface. And like Kelly Preston is the example or Stacy or whatever her name is. Kelly Preston as Avery. Avery. Um, her entire performance. And again, like it works for what I guess it's doing, but. I like. I don't well, sympathize with anybody. I don't you care about anybody. Did you notice at the end how she softens when she sees him? Like at the at the final game, Bob Sugar is standing in between her and and Tom Cruise, and she doesn't give him a fuck you. She sees how broken Jerry Maguire is after everything he's been through. Without saying anything, this is an example of showing, not telling. She shows concern for Jerry Maguire. How like. He's broken. Yeah. Tom Cruise is broken by the end of this movie. Yeah. And he he achieves the impossible. And she's kind of right. She says, if you make one person big by focusing on one client, the rest will come. And it's hinted at the end of this movie. That's what's going to happen. Troy Aikman, you know, says, oh, man, I really liked your, your memo. And then, like, all of these other people are seeing how much he cares about Cuba yeah. Gooden Jr. And then you have the moment between Sugar and What's-His-Face. Like, how come you don't care about... How come we never hug? How come you don't care about me like that? Yeah. And then Sugar goes over to try to hug him. And that guy looks over at Jerry like, huh, maybe I need an agent like that. Yeah. So it's implied that Jerry's going to do well. But it's also implied at the end... That he's going to turn into Venus and Serena Williams' dad, Richard Williams. Right, because he sees Lipnicki have a huge, great arm on him yeah. throwing the baseball. So now I just picture him like making making Lipnicki throw baseballs in the rain. Like, you know that about about Richard Williams, right? No, he used to I don't. make the girls like play tennis in the rain Jesus. And, and like like 
catch balls and and like go crazy. I watched the movie King Richard. Okay. And like apparently half of it is true. They had to tone it down. Oh jeez. So I'm like Jesus. <laughs> I mean, so that's you know, how I feel about Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire will definitely be that type of father. Yeah. I mean, like the only takeaway I can make from this movie is like caring about people matters more than making money, I guess. But at the end of the day, he did what he did and he's making a shit ton of money. So like. It I- doesn't make sense, though. Like, how did he? Here, here's an example of a man who succeeded when he shouldn't have like. Haley showed you that video this weekend of the the guy from the Revolutionary War. Oh, yeah. What's his face? Dexter? Something uh, Dexter? Was it... Timothy? Te- Timothy Dexter? Ted Dexter? Timothy Dexter? I don't know. But, like, there here is a guy who shouldn't have succeeded. The, people were trying to get him to invest in stuff that was terrible, and he believed them, and it actually worked. That's what Jerry Maguire is. Yeah. He is a guy who takes bad, you know, investment advice and then succeeds. Yeah. He shouldn't succeed. This movie should end with him on the streets, basically, like, taking a job. Oh, my God. I know what it should be. What? He ends up working at that King Goes at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like it could have been... Is it, try... is it trying to be some kind of inspirational movie? It is. Is it trying to be some grand romantic movie? It is. Is it trying to make me feel things it's trying but it's not succeeding because, i mean you're emotionally dead on the inside We've well been but for- still i mean i can recognize when things are supposed to you know make me feel stuff whether i feel it or not this one the romance is the, is so fucked up number one number two i also think the fact that there is such an age discrepancy between tom cruise and uh renee zellweger she was like 20 or 21 and he was like almost 30 oh that didn't bother me as much i didn't notice that as much well that's because he's fucking ageless yeah um i mean the other thing too is like as far as it being an inspirational story i mean how am i supposed to be inspired by some rich ass sports agent he's basically zach morris right like zach morris is trash and Jerry Maguire is also trash. Jerry Maguire is trash. Exactly. Like, what am I supposed to be inspired by? That congratulations, uh, you know, Tin Man, you found a heart? Like, I don't get it. Oh, we speaking of hearts, we didn't even talk about the late, great Dickie Fox. Oh, his, yes. His mentor. Okay, that's who should have been narrating this movie. Yes, absolutely. Jerry Maguire should not have been the one doing the narration. It should have been his mentor. Because that guy, that role was written for uh, Billy Wilder, director of Sunset Boulevard and mm-hmm. Some Like It Hot, who was friends with Cameron Crowe. And they tr- both him and Tom Cruise tried to talk him into doing the role. But like Dickie Fox actually, if we're saying that Cuba's great and Regina King is great... The guy who plays Dickie Fox is great too. Because, oh, absolutely! Like his his cliche is like, if this is empty, pointing to his heart, then this is useless, pointing to your brain. Yeah. Here's my here's my question. Going back to the narration and whether or not um, Dickie Fox would have been better at that. Aside from the beginning, because I don't remember noticing this. Aside from the beginning, is there narration in the rest of the movie at all? Nope. What's the point? What's the point? The narration is useless in the beginning because you're already showing me everything you're trying to tell me and then you never bring it back. Why is it there in the first place? It's useless. 
Tom Tom Cruise and Cameron Crowe try this again in Vanilla Sky, where like the narration is actually on point because for people who hate Vanilla Sky, I actually like the movie, but Vanilla Sky, the narration is important because he's saying all of this to his psychiatrist. Well, that's the thing. That's when narration is effective is when it turns out the narration isn't to us as the audience. It's to whatever the conduit is supposed to be for the audience, to an actual person that you either find out through the movie or at the end or whatever the situation is. That's when narration can be I thought of, effective. I thought of two movies where narration, where the narration works. Well, I would say another place where narration can work is in um, young adult and like children's movies mm-hmm. when it's because it's trying to evoke that feeling of quote unquote storytelling. Like right. it's, you're being read a storybook. Well, those were the two things that I was going to point out. It works in the princess bride. Well, uh, yeah. And it works in fried green tomatoes. I haven't seen fried green tomatoes, but princess bride is a perfect example. Narration is consistent. It has a point. It is actually part of the storytelling and it's interactive because he's reading the story to his grandson as they're going through the story. And sometimes, you know, the kid gets grossed out and the the narration suddenly stops because he's literally reading the story. Perfect example of when narration is appropriate. What if, what if this, you find out his narration is he's telling this entire story to Ray and he's like, wow, that was boring, Jerry. Yeah. No, I mean, I'd agree. Cause who is supposed to be the audience for the story that he's narrating to so, that at the end, like he does, he doesn't, he narrates for five minutes and then that's it. He never comes back. What's the point? Well, okay. So this movie, if you can't tell, this movie is for the moms who don't want to go see Fargo and the moms who were way too bored at the English patient. Apparently. So this, this is a movie where, you know, you had a very violent year at the movies and they were trying to downplay it because at the same time that this came out, one of my favorite movies or one of my favorite Christmas movies, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. Oh, Long Kiss Goodnight's so good. I feel like that's oh, every time you bring, I haven't seen this, haven't seen that. I don't know who that is. But, put that on a t-shirt. But yeah, so so this was the film where they're like, okay, everyone. Oh, this also came out the same year as uh, Mouse Hunt. I don't know that. Mouse Hunt with uh, Nathan Lane. Okay. But yeah, so we've come to the end of this. Is there anything else you want to talk about or are you like, fuck this movie? Fuck this movie. Okay. Like, so it was just so stupid. It was so bagels? stupid. Um, I don't know, like three maybe? And I'm only giving it three because of Regina King. Yeah. Really. Um, And yeah, I'll give all three to Regina. Like, I'm not going to give it a zero. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Uh, what was it? All dogs go to heaven is, yeah, yeah. is, I think I gave that negative bagels. Yep. Um, like it didn't want to make me rip my eyes out. And like, if I had to sit through the whole thing, I don't think I would have wanted to like, I don't know, set the house on fire. But Regina King is, is, I do think this is the thing. I do think there were good performances in it. Yeah. That's why I'm giving it bagels. Like, I don't like the story. I don't like the writing. I don't like the point. Um, I don't like the. I did not like the cinematography. It's a '90s time capsule. Wait, it you didn't like the well. cinematography? No. Janusz Kaminski did the cinematography. I the reason why I didn't like it was because it was just so '90s. It's, okay, it's not about the cinematography itself. The it's guy, a, who, the guy who did the cinematography, also did Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying the cinematography is bad. I'm just saying that it's difficult it's for me. It's glossy. To, 
It's right. And so for me, it was, I actually found the cinematography distracting. Okay. That was, that was my issue. And I think, again, if you're in the 90s, it doesn't bother you. But now watching it, to me, the cinematography was very distracting. So, um, but I do think Tom, Tom Cruise gave a great performance. Cuba Gooding Jr. from what I watched gave a good performance. Renee Zellweger, I thought her performance was fine. Um, I just thought other people could do it better. But there, there were three actresses better than Renee Zellweger in this. Like Bonnie Hunt is better than Bonnie Renee. Bonnie Hunt is fantastic. I love Bonnie Hunt. Uh, Kelly Preston was better. Yeah. And I mean, Queen, Queen King. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. For me, Regina King, like she's in this. So that's why I'm giving it three bagels is that there are enough people in this who are giving good enough performances that um, can make me say – there's something here. I just don't think it's a good movie. <laughs> I'm going with five because of the performances. I grew up watching this. I watch this all the time. Our babysitter used to like put this on because we had a collection of movies. She's like, I am not going to watch Surf Ninjas or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the fifth time. Yeah. For you, it's a big nostalgia thing. Yeah. it's It reminds me of the 90s. It reminds me of a video store. This is like, this is literally like looking at a video store yeah. movie. So, yeah, five bagels. So, we've come to the end of this. Is there anything you want to plug or do any? Um, you know, hey, if you are living on the South Shore and uh, you want to check out Namaskit River Productions, check out our website. We've got stuff coming up starting in February. Uh, so, check us out. And I got another podcast called Hell is a Musical, which Mallory is going to be on in February. Woohoo! And... Uh, I also have my miniseries, When Scary Met Stabby, and the other miniseries, Where in the World is Stephen Quincy Urkel on Zero Science. Those are all on Zero Science. You can find Hell is a Musical on Instagram and Twitter under hell underscore pod or at hell is a musical podcast. And you can find this podcast, Writer's Bagel Basket, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email us, writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm Scott Curlin. Mallory, thanks for doing this. Anytime. Bye.